much. My name is Brandon Reddick, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Bridge Church. Let me say, first of all, thank you so much for being here to worship with us on this Lord's Day. If this is your first or second time with us, thank you again for being here. It is our pleasure, our honor, our privilege to have you with us. If you would do us the kind favor, as my wife said earlier, if you would complete this bridge card. Uh, that just lets us know you were here. And we want to be able to say thank you for being here. So complete that. Um, we used to say back in my church, there is a blessing in obedience. All right, complete this. And there is a blessing in your obedience. We are going through a series called Multiply. Multiply, a study through the book of Acts. God has given us favor to be in existence for one year. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And, and so as we embark on this next season of the Bridge Church, the Holy Spirit led me to, to lead us through a, a study in the book of Acts. The last couple of weeks, we looked at Acts chapter 1. Jesus had risen from the dead. He had spent a period of about 40 days with his disciples, the apostles, and he told them, I want you to hang out in Jerusalem. And there you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And he will give you power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We see early in Acts 1.8 that God has a mission, a worldwide mission from people from every language, every tongue, to be evangelized, to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And then, obediently, they, they go back to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, and, and they're in Jerusalem, and there they are waiting. And while they are waiting, they're not just there twiddling their thumbs, but they say, while we're waiting, we're going to pray. And they were all together, the Bible says, with one accord. And they said, Judas was Judas. He, he betrayed our Lord, but, but now we've got to replace him. And so they choose a fellow by the name of Matthias. Remember, Acts chapter 1, Jesus told them to wait. He says, wait on the promise of the Father. So in one, chapter 1, we see the promise of the Father, which is empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And then in the middle of chapter 1, we see the waiting. Now we're here in Acts chapter 2. The promise has been given. Let's see what happened in Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We'll be reading from the English Standard version of the Bible. If you need a Bible, if you want a hard copy of it, we have one at the hospitality table. Please go get one. It's page 909, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll read through verse 13. If you need to follow along, we'll have it on the screen for you as well. Our custom here at the British Church is to stand in honor and reverence to the holy word of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what it says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, 
They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. There we go. You may be seated. The first thing that Luke, who Dr. Luke is the author of this book of Acts, he shows us the coming of the Holy Spirit. There, there's some things to be learned about the coming of the Holy Spirit. The text opens in verse 1 by saying, when the day of Pentecost arrived. The, 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 the word Pentecost in the Greek literally means 50th. It, it, Pentecost was a Jewish festival that was held 50 days after Passover. And Jews were expected to travel from wherever they were back to their homeland of Jerusalem annually for this festival called Pentecost. It, it was a celebration of the ending of the barley harvest and the beginning of the wheat harvest. And, and, and Jews would bring the first fruits of their wheat and offer it to God as an act of worship. Maybe, maybe you don't recognize it as Pentecost because in the Old Testament it's also called the Feast of Wheat. It's also called the, 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 the harvest feast. And, and the more accurate reading of this clause here at the beginning of Acts chapter 1 is, and the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled. The text says when the day of Pentecost arrived, but the Greek literally reads when the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled. I don't think 
It's just by happenstance that Paul uses this word being fulfilled. He, he uses this word intentionally because God had promised beforehand that the Holy Spirit would come. And he's saying it's now on the day of Pentecost that what was promised is now being fulfilled. And what I said a couple of weeks ago is that the gift of the Holy Spirit is evidence that we serve a faithful God. In other words, whatever God promises, God provides. He, he's a faithful God. He, he keeps his word. Remember, remember, let me try this. Y'all quiet on me this morning. Pentecost. Remember, it was a celebration of the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Pentecost was a celebration of the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Now notice that it's the first fruits. First meaning that there's more to come. Ooh, y'all missed a good spot to say something. The harvest, the wheat harvest had not yet completely come yet. But yet there was enough that had been harvested so that they could give God the first that had already come. And God, on this momentous occasion, I don't think it's just by happenstance that he chose the day of Pentecost to pour out the Holy Spirit on his people. I think God was saying in one way that the same way that you gave me the first fruits of the harvest that had not completely come yet, I'm giving you the first fruits of your eternal inheritance called the Holy Spirit. In other words, when God gave the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, he's saying that this is, this, this is the first part of everything that I have for you in eternity. In other words, it's as if God is saying the best is yet to come. Be careful. I'm not going prosperity gospel on you. You know that's not me. Because the uh, prosperity gospel says the best is yet to come in, in 10 more days or uh, the next year. No, 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 no. I'm not even talking about on this earth. God's got more in store for us on the other side of eternity. And so the Holy Spirit is just God's down payment. It's, it's God's earnest payment about what's to come eventually. Oh, y'all gonna make me work this. All right, I brought my good suit this morning. <laughs> he, he says here, I remember when we were buying our house back in Texas. And well, I remember Texas more than buying our house in Texas more than the one I just bought here in Kansas. I don't know. But I remember we were buying our house in Texas and um, when we got ready to, to make a contract on the house, it was accepted. Our realtor told us, now you're going to have to put down some earnest money. And, and you know, I was straight out of college, almost, and uh, I, I, I've never, my mom never owned a house that I can remember. And so she said, earnest money. And I'm like, who money? I got Brandis money, but I ain't got earnest and she said, no, you have to put down, it was either $500 or 1000 She said, you put this money there to show good faith. I need all my Pentecostal people this morning. Because you, you are saying that I am going to follow through on this contract, this, this promise that I want to buy this house for these hundreds of thousands of dollars. 
And and the fact that I'm going to give you this money, which I can't get back unless something comes uh, comes across on the inspection, I can't get it back that you'll get the other $100,000 later. And this is what God does with the Holy Spirit. He says, this is my earnest payment. This is my good faith promise that everything I promise you will come to pass. So he says it's on the day of Pentecost that it comes. Now, I also think that there is a time element where he says on the day of Pentecost, it came. Remember this, Jesus had told them while he was still on the earth, before his crucifixion, Jesus had told his disciples that he was going to send another comforter. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is coming and when he comes, he's going to empower you and you'll do even greater works than I've done. He's still on the earth. He dies. He's buried. He rises from the dead. He ascends back to the Father. And the text says that that was at least 40 days. And then, obviously, it wasn't until day 50. So there's at least two months there of waiting. Minimum. Because remember, he was still telling them while he was on the earth. They've been waiting on the Holy Spirit. I think the coming of the Holy Spirit reminds us that there is a blessing in waiting on God. Notice that there was nothing that they could do to receive the Holy Spirit, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. All they could do was just wait on God. That's the problem with most of us. We don't like waiting. But, the, Holy, but the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit helps us to remember that there is a blessing in waiting. I didn't make this up. The David, King David said in Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. And watch this. This is what the Lord did. He turned to me and he heard my cry. Waiting has the, a, the, a way of reminding us that we are not in control. That's why we don't like to wait. We like to be in control. But God has a way of reminding us that you're not sovereign, I am. And I'm going to make you wait on whatever it is that you are waiting on. Whatever it is that you've been praying for for years. God God has a way of saying, you're going to wait on this. So you'll know it was all me and not you. Because when we are in control, we like to give the glory to ourselves. But we serve a God that is jealous for his own glory. Excuse me. The text says it was on the day of Pentecost. that the, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. This new community of people, they were a gathered people. Let's let's take some time and and just think about that. They were a gathered people. They, They gathered together regularly for worship. Gathering was a core value of theirs. Gathering together for worship was a top priority of theirs. 
They didn't just decide to take a Sunday off. Yeah, let me pastor for a moment. When they got together together, they they did it intentionally. They, They went out of their way to make sure that they could gather with the people of God weekly. They gathered together. This was a core value of theirs, and it ought to be a core value of of ours. Church, there is a blessing in gathering together regularly with God's people. So we see the coming of the Holy Spirit. But not only do we see the coming of the Holy Spirit, we see the confirmation of the Holy Spirit. Look with me. We see, first of all, an audible confirmation. Verse 2 says that there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. There was a sound. It was audible. Now, when the Holy Spirit came, it was not wind. There was a sound like wind. And that filled the entire house where they were sitting. So there's audible confirmation of the Holy Spirit in this text. Then, not only is there an audible confirmation, then there's a visible confirmation of the Holy Spirit. Hang tight. I'll show you where I'm going with this. Verse 3 says, And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Let's spend some time here. Pray for me. The Holy Spirit, the word for divided can also be distributed. The Holy Spirit distributes tongues as a fire. He's using uh, uh, an analogy here. And it appears to them and it rests on each of them. The word for tongues here is glossa, where we get our word glossary. The better translation of this term, glossa, is language. And, and so the Holy Spirit enables these gathered people to speak a previously unknown foreign language in order to minister to others for the glory of God. In Acts 2, I'm preaching Acts 2 today. In Acts chapter 2, The Holy Spirit enables the people of God to speak in foreign languages. So it's not just this ecstatic mm, utterance that nobody else knows. No, 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 no. It's a language that can be understood by somebody else. They are speaking in these languages to others for the glory of God. Now, here's the thing we've got to understand about Acts. Luke here in Acts 2 is describing an event that happened. He's describing an event that happened. He's not prescribing what should happen when you receive the Holy Spirit. There's a difference. If he was prescribing, this would mean that it should happen to all people at all times in all places. No, 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 no. 
He says, I'm just describing to you what happened on this historic occasion to this group of people. And so, speaking, when one was baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then these group of people started speaking in tongues, Luke is not saying that this will be normative for all people in the church at all times. Hear me well, church. In Acts chapter 2, he's just describing what happened to this particular group of people. Now, let's, let's, let's go into the deep end of the pool. Everybody, there are two things happening in this text. Two things that the Holy Spirit is doing. There is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and there is the filling of the Holy Spirit. We're going to go through both of them this morning. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and there's the filling of the Holy Spirit. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the work of the Holy Spirit whereby he places the believer into union with Christ and and into union with other believers in the body of Christ. Rewind, press play. I got you. The, The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the work of the Holy Spirit whereby he places the believer into union with Christ and into union with other believers in the body of Christ. Here's where I got my definition. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Let's put it on the screen. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Here's what Paul says. He says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. So so Paul says the baptism of the spirit is when we are placed into the body of Christ. So the question that you must be asking is, so when does this happen? And I am convinced that scripture teaches that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at the moment of salvation. The moment a person places their faith in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Make your case, Reverend. All right. I thank you for the challenge. (laughs) Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Here's what it says. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Here it is. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So Paul here in Romans, he says that it is impossible for a person to belong to Christ without the Holy Spirit. Paul says if you belong to Christ, then you have to have the Holy Spirit. No Holy Spirit, no Christ. So then, which implies then that the moment I believe, the Holy Spirit baptizes me into the body of Christ. I've been baptized. If you're a believer, you've been baptized. All God's children have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I don't have to pray for it. 
I, I, I don't have to wait on it. I don't have to do anything. It's something, it's all a sovereign act of God. And it happens simultaneously with faith. We've all been baptized with the Holy Spirit. But the moment we became children of God, at the same time, God put the Holy Spirit in us. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes it ain't all that evident because we, are still, we still have the flesh. The flesh is not eradicated. So then, if you must have the Holy Spirit in order to be a believer, and, and you're a believer and you have the Holy Spirit, we've all been baptized, and baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the believer is placed into the body of Christ. That means then that Pentecost is the birthday of the church. Prior to Acts 2, they were all just individual believers. But when the Holy Spirit came, they were all baptized with them, and they became a body. So that's why we say Acts 2, we celebrate the birth of the church. So here then are the implications of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a second work of grace. It's not a second blessing of salvation. It, it happens simultaneously at the moment of faith. We don't pray for it, anything else. So then we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That happens. But then we also have the filling of the Holy Spirit. What's the difference? Baptism of the Holy Spirit happens once at the moment of salvation. The Filling of the Holy Spirit is ongoing. Okay. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Ephesians 5, verse 8. Here's what Paul teaches us. He says, and do not get drunk with wine. By the way, that's a command. Don't be drunk on alcoholic beverages. He says, for that is debauchery, or that's, that's reckless, it's wasteful. But instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The term there for be filled, let me, let, let, let me do a little teaching here. It's, it's a present passive imperative. A who? Exactly. The present tense indicates an action that is ongoing and continuous. So, so, so Paul is saying continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the passive voice indicates that the action is something that is done to us. We don't do this. We can't fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit. We, we, it has to be done to us, and it's done divinely. So, so it's a present passive imperative. That means it's a command. We are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Note, baptism by the Holy Spirit is never commanded in Scripture. Never. Only filling is. 
To be filled with the Spirit means to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of the filling of the Spirit is always empowerment for ministry. The purpose of the filling of the Spirit is for you to serve. Every Sunday, I get up here and I preach God's Word. And if you listen to me pray, I say, Lord, fill me up with your Holy Spirit. What that song, that second song that we said, that said, uh, tell me what can I do? I can't live without you. That's, that's what the, Holy, the filling of the Holy Spirit is implying. We can't do anything for God's glory without being spirit-filled and spirit-empowered. Every, every time I get up here, I, I'm pleading with the Holy Spirit, fill me up. Because if I do this in my own power, it's going to be a mess. Oh, but if it's spirit-filled, souls might be saved. If the spirit is with the the saints might be encouraged to keep going on even in the face of of opposition. If it's spirit filled, things will change. People will be transformed. When when it's spirit filled, the the worship team, they won't just be singing songs, but they will be ministering to God's people. They'll be ushering in God's presence. God will be glorified if it's spirit filled. Now, remember, What's the purpose of the Spirit according to Acts 1.8? So that you will be witnesses. The evidence of a Spirit-filled person is not that they can speak in tongues. The evidence of a Spirit-filled, per- spirit-filled person is not that they can prophesy. Evidence of a spirit-filled person, according to Acts, is that they are on mission. Preach, Brandon. That, that's what I want, a spirit-filled church. Now, now, spirit-filled people, according to Ephesians chapter 5, not only are they in on mission, according to Ephesians chapter 5, we read verse 18, but if you keep reading, spirit-filled Wives can submit to their husbands. Watch this. Let me get off that real quick. (laughs) According to Ephesians 5, spirit-filled husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. According to the Bible, spirit-filled children will obey their mothers and their fathers. According to Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, spirit-filled Christians will, will, will willingly submit to their bosses. That's also evidence of a spirit-filled Christian. But see, for too long, we've tied this Holy Spirit to all this charismatic chaos that happens in our churches. But the Bible puts much more emphasis on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. It's not just the speaking in tongues. It's not just running around the building. It's not just about being slain in the spirit. Whatever that is. 
The, 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 the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to empower the Christian to live the way God has designed them. It, the, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not just for Sunday morning. It is to empower us for the worldwide evangelization of Jesus Christ. All right, I got to get out of here. But let me tell you something. We talk, I, I make fun, I joke a lot about, I say if y'all were Pentecostal, y'all be running all around this place. Let me tell you something. If you have the Holy Spirit, which means that if you are a believer, you are a Pentecostal. Preach, Brandon. <laughs> By the way, when I do that, y'all, the Bible says that David went through a period of time. They were, his, while he was the king, he was the leader. His people turned against him. They literally wanted to stone him, and he was ready to give up. The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. That, 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 that's all I'm doing when I say preach, Brandon. I'm just trying to encourage myself when y'all get quiet on me. <laughs> that, we are all Pentecostal Christians. If we've been indwelled with the Holy Spirit, we're a Pentecostal. So I want my name back. I'm a Pentecostal because I've got the Holy Spirit in me. And he, he's baptized me and he's filled me. Now, I may not be a quote-unquote charismatic, which I want that name back too because charisma means gift. And I'm a gifted individual because I'm a believer. Y'all see some of the foolishness we get into sometimes with these names and labels and stuff? Okay, I'm just on the tangent. I'm sorry. <laughs> so we got... The, the whole, if I was preaching from the King James Version right now, they would say the Holy Ghost. Yeah. I, I, we, 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 we are Holy Ghost-filled people. Yeah. That's what I want a church full of, Holy Ghost-filled people. Yeah. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Yeah. If I can give me a Holy Ghost-filled church, y'all yeah. may be quiet as, uh, you, and you can hear a rat tiptoe on cotton. But if you're a Holy Ghost filled, I'll take that any day because Holy Ghost filled people. The Bible says when you are Holy Ghost filled, Ephesians 5 again, it says that you will praise God because you'll speak to one another in hymns and spiritual songs. Give me those kind of people that know how to love one another and talk to one another. All right, I got to get out of here. So we see the coming of the Holy Spirit, we see the confirmation of the Holy Spirit, but then we see the confusion about the Holy Spirit. Look at with me at verse 5. He says, Now there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Question, why were there men from every nation under heaven? Because it was Pentecost. And Jews were required to return to Jerusalem for this festive celebration. Which, by the way, I think that's why God chose Pentecost First and foremost, because he said this is where there will be the most people gathered at one time. And I can pour out the Holy Spirit on at least the 120. And then these people are going to be amazed and they're going to be uh, they're going to wonder about what's going on. And then next week, we're going to study Peter's first sermon and 3000 people are saved. Man, that Peter was a bad man. <laughs> no, 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 the Holy Spirit was. And, and, and who were these men? 
The Bible tells us they were Jews. They were Jewish people who had been scattered during the exile. And they were now living in another country that was not their own. And verse 6 says, And at the sound of the multitude, they came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. That word for bewildered literally means confused or confounded. Now, the Bible says, in verse 6 it says, there, there was a sound that brought them together. Now, uh, scholars are all over the place about what this sound was. Some say it was the sound of the mighty Russian wind. Some say it was the sound of them speaking in different languages. You pick one. We'll keep moving. I'm convinced that it was because it's singular. It's a singular sound. I'm convinced that it's the sound of the mighty Russian wind that said, well, what's that sound? And they got together to see what that sound was about. And when they got there, then they heard the tongues, the people speaking in languages. If you don't like that, uh, Google your best favorite preacher. But it was tongues or languages that confused them because they're hearing them speak in their own dialectos, their own dialect, their own national language. And verse 7 says that they're hearing this and they are amazed and they are astonished because the ones speaking these languages are Galileans. <laughs> Y'all, that's not a nice statement, by the way. They're essentially saying, who are these un- educated hillbillies. These are some backwoods kind of people. And, and now they are speaking to us in our own native language? This is free. Don't, don't ever judge a book by its cover. God, God has a way of surprising us when it comes to who he decides to use for his glory. He, he can use a stumbling, uh, talking man by the name of Moses. He can use an adulterer like by the name of David. He can use a crybaby by the name of Jeremiah. He, he, he can use a good-looking, bald-headed man by the name of Brandon Reddick. Don't ever judge a book by its cover. What's so funny, Andrew? <laughs> Don't hate because you ain't bald and good looking like me. <laughs> now, again, we see here, what's the purpose of the tongues in Acts 2? Look at the last part of verse 11. They proclaim the mighty works of God. That's the purpose of tongues in Acts 2. I'm being intentional here by keep pointing out that this is Acts 2. I haven't gotten to 1 Corinthians. you got to keep coming to the bridge if you want to hear that sermon series. It may be a few years, so keep coming. In Acts 2, the purpose of languages, these times in Acts 2, is proclamation of the mighty works of God. Let me make some clarification about how tongues is used in Acts chapter 2. Tongues in Acts chapter 2 is not some secret language. In Acts chapter 2, it's not private, it's public. 
in Acts chapter 2. It's not some private prayer language. It's, it's public. Tongues are for the public proclamation of the mighty works of God. And the purpose of the language is to glorify God by verbally speaking about what he's done. And notice that the recipients of the language, the people who actually hear the languages, these tongues, are unbelievers. The people who are amazed or astonished, they're devout, but they don't mean they're saved. Because they're going to have to hear the gospel from Peter, that's next week's sermon, and he's going to tell them, y'all all need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. So Paul, Peter wouldn't be preaching this sermon if they were already saved. It's an evangelistic sermon. So these are unbelievers, so the purpose is the purpose of tongues in Acts chapter 2, again, is the verbal proclamation of the mighty works of God to unbelievers. And again, we see in verse 12 that they are amazed and perplexed. They're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. But then there's this group of people that decide to mock them. They say, uh, well, they're just drunk. They are filled with new wine. In the Greek, it says that they are filled with sweet new wine. John MacArthur, the pastor out of California, he says uh, this would be essentially unfermented grape juice. He, he says essentially, he's, uh, they're saying they can't hold their grape juice. <laughs> oh, I thought that was funny too. <laughs> Let's go, y'all. Just like these people in Acts 2. Church, we have the Holy Spirit. He, he lives within us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So then how do we respond? How do we apply this? We, we respond by being in awe that God not only dwells with us, but he dwells in us. And that should provoke us to worship our almighty God. Secondly, as I stated earlier, the Spirit was ultimately given to empower the church for witness. Stop and think about that. The Spirit is the power for witnessing. Not how much you know about the Bible. Not how eloquent you are. There, there are so many preachers, y'all, that can get up here. They know how to parse all their verbs. They make everything agree. They, 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 they are just eloquent. But it's not about that. It's not about eloquence. It's about the Holy Spirit. Y'all, and so we need to accomplish God's mission by being witnesses in every word throughout the entire world. We've, God says, I've given you the power and that the Holy Spirit is able to come all of your weaknesses. The Holy Spirit is able to become, overcome all, everything that you don't know, you think you should have said, but didn't say. He, God says, the power is not in you. The power is in the Spirit. What I'm trying to do is help some of you because you, you, you're afraid that if you start evangelizing somebody, you're just going to mess them up. You're not that powerful. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. Everything we need, God has given us. 
What he's called us to, he's equipped us for. He's given us that. If you're here today, and you say, I, I, I want this power of the, the Holy Spirit that, that, that will live within me, that will help me love my wife and, and help me submit to my husband, help me raise my children right, and, and help me obey. Uh, if I want this Holy Spirit. The only way to receive this Holy Spirit is by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness of sin. You, you must recognize and confess that you are a sinner. Meaning that you've broken God's law. You, you were created to give glory to God, to, to honor him, to spread his fame. But we all fall short of the glory of God. That makes us all a sinner. Makes us all sinners. Why is that such a big deal? Because you deserve eternal separation from God. And he, that place is in hell. And the first thing that Satan wants you to do, he wants to convince you that hell is not real. It's just a figment of Christian's imagination. But Jesus preached more, talked more about hell than he did about money. He talked more about hell than he did about heaven, actually. Here's the good news. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Good news is that God loves you so much that the penalty that you deserve, eternal separation, the, the penalty that you deserve, dying on a cross, he put that upon his son. And his son, Jesus Christ, paid your penalty. He died in your place. He died your death so that you could have eternal life. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you, put your, you, you commit fully to Jesus Christ. You, you, you turn from trusting in whatever it is that you were trusting in before, whether it was you've been a good person, whether it was your good works, whatever it was, you turn from that and turn to Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, for forgiveness. You will be saved. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Make that decision today, to trust in Jesus Christ. And the moment you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. Power from on high. And you're here today, you're saying, yeah, 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 I, I, I'm, just, I'm just not ready for that. I'm still struggling. I'm, I'm the one struggling with this new sweet wine. I, I, I've got all these, I, I, I curse like a sailor. I'm going to get myself together. That's how weak you are. You can't even get yourself together without divine intervention. Jesus has a way. He, he says, he, when he called his disciples, he says, I'll make you fishers of men. That, that's a powerful analogy because you don't clean the fish first. You catch them. Then you clean them. And that's the way salvation works. You come just as you are. As weak as you are, as sinful as you are, and then God gives you his spirit. and His spirit empowers you to get yourself together. Hallelujah. I'm so glad it's not dependent on my own 
will, my own self-discipline, my own, my own power. But God gives me a power outside of myself, his own spirit, to, to help me be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to call the worship team back to come now. You've heard this.